the challenge with outbound, as we just described it, is that's traditionally associated to like sales development, business development actions. I know plenty of marketing activities that have also fallen victim to that. If your goals are you're measured on things like number of sales meetings you can sign up or number of demo meetings, and like that's the only goal and measurement you're measuring on, no different than like number of leads, then naturally, why wouldn't you run transactional activities like content syndication, ebook downloads, and you know, putting a reg form on it? So I also believe that. You have to align the right vision and goals to help drive this type of action, which is also why like before we want to do business with a potential prospect or customer, our goal going forward is to get them to adopt and kind of agree with this mindset. Because if they agree with this mindset, then all of a sudden they're naturally thinking about how do I apply gifting to a prospect journey, to a customer journey, maybe even an employee journey. Well, the benefit to us is that creates stickiness. If you're looking to up your startup marketing game, you're in the right place. This podcast will help you simplify, prioritize, and see big wins from your marketing efforts. Every week, you'll hear from some of the world's best venture-backed startup founders, marketing leaders, and startup experts about marketing, brand, growth, what's working well, challenges, and how crazy and fun marketing can be when you're at a high-growth startup. See ya inside. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. So happy to have you on the show. I am excited because I've got somebody that I've been wanting to get on the show for quite a bit of time. And finally, he's on. So I'm so happy to have Pete Lorenko on the show. He is a VP of marketing at Alice. He's also the co-host of the podcast video series, Real ABM. So you might want to check that out too, if you're interested. So welcome, Pete. Thanks, Am. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. And I'm honored to share the space with you today. So thanks. I'm honored as well. I'm so happy that we could be together. Before I jump in and talk about you a bit more, Pete, and talk about Alice a bit more, I do want to mention that something new that I'm putting into the show notes is a quick survey. I'd love for listeners to go ahead and jump in there. I'm a marketer. I love insights. And I just want to learn a little bit more about what people are loving about the show, what they want to see more of, and just get to know the listeners a little bit more. So jump in the show notes, take a quick look at that survey, fill it out. It will be so helpful for me to understand who you guys are, what you're looking for to make the show even better. So Back to you, Pete. So Pete, prior to Alice, you were VP marketing at Avid Technology, which is a public company, and several other enterprise companies, including Iron Mountain and EMC prior to their acquisition to Dell. So all great experiences. And I want to bring that in as we start talking about some of the things I want to ask you about. About Alice, founded December 2015, about 174 people based out of Boston, Massachusetts, Series B funded, $46 million total. And if people have not heard of Alice, Alice provides a better way to do outbound B2B marketing by transforming from the transactional touch points to delivering personal experiences using gifting, swag, direct mail, all those fun things. So let's kick it. Let's get into it, Pete. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it. That was a great intro, by the way. Thank you. Oh, good. Good. I'm glad. Okay. So let's talk about 
gifting because I I wanted to mention that I had Dan Fronin mm-hmm. on the show. Mm-hmm. He's a former CMO at Sendoso. So I, we talked about Sendoso episode 16. If people want to listen to that, we talked about gifting. We talked about how there are other players in the space because you're all trying to, you know, help marketers, help sales, help marketing to create these more personal experiences but you're also competing with other people in the space. So how do you compete when it's such a large competitive space? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So our focus at Alice is in three areas, clear target audience and understanding of that audience's pains and use cases. And I'll go into all these in more detail in a second. How do we best resonate with this audience through having a unique point of view? And then how do we deliver value to our audience through the product itself? So that's strategically when we think about how we can best position Alice to compete in a space that has a lot of great options and it's a fast growing space. And if anyone's listening to this going like, why? In large part, I think we're, and I know you, uh, I think you asked me pre-meeting like what we'll get into. So yeah, we'll get into some of that later, but there's a lot of good competitive options. So our focus is how do we align on those three? Now, starting with audience, you know, through customer feedback, data, we determined a need to narrow our audience, focusing and aligning on what our current product and roadmap is able to do today and what it'll be able to best do in the future to deliver that type of value. And our focus now is specific on B2B sales and marketing teams. So when we think Alice and when Alice goes to position itself, it's aimed at B2B sales and marketing teams predominantly. It does not mean that Alice and gifting can't be used for employees and HR and people teams and other use cases as well. But our predominant focus and where we believe we can provide the most value is to those teams. And how big are those teams? Like, are you going after both SMBs and enterprise? Where do you play? Our sweet spot based on where we've seen the most successful customers is typically on the higher end of SMB. So think like, 150, 200, 250 size level employees, all the way up to probably the low end of like most people would describe as like an enterprise organization. It doesn't mean we don't have customers on the other spectrums. We've sold to all sizes and uh, I guess you could say shapes and sizes. But truthfully, like B2B SaaS and technology has always been a sweet spot. And traditionally, like SMB commercial is probably where the majority of our customers live. Now, we're a good fit for B2B teams who are looking to shift from one-off gifting. So like when a lot of B2B teams think about gifting, it's like, hey, Anna, like you and the team need to send gifts during the holidays, like Christmas, Thanksgiving, whatever it might be. Well, for Alice and for our customers, when they come to us, it's how do you develop that ongoing strategy across your entire buying and customer journey, realizing that gifting is effective when it's used throughout the year and throughout that journey and not just that obvious specific times where, by the way, it's not unique if everyone's doing the same thing during Christmas. And recognizing that there is a big difference between simply sending stuff versus utilizing gifting as a way to truly invest in building personal and relevant experiences that help you create a bond. So like from an audience perspective, that is where we start. And then I can talk about resonation and and, our resonating and product if you'd like. Actually, I want to stop you for a second because I'd love to ask you gifting as it relates to the buyer journey. So Mm -hmm. how would you structure this? Can you maybe talk about some examples like the buyer journey? They don't know they have a problem. They recognize they have a problem. They understand the solution. 
They understand the choices in the market. And then you're the only compelling choice. Like, let's say that's the buyer journey across most companies, right? That's like the, the journey that people go through. How do you bring gifting into this cycle? Yeah, so we view gifting as an amplifier. So, you know, one of the journeys that we've been on as an organization is, and there's a lot of influencers and people that create a lot of content that talk about this. Traditionally, gifting was used as a silver bullet solution to get a meeting. And P.S., for a lot of companies and brands, some of our customers and probably some of our competitors' customers, that strategy can work. Typically, we, where we see that work is when you already are a well-established brand and you have market strength in your category or market, that's likely going to work really well for you. For Like when I was at a previous really big, well-known tech company, we were sending out $500 gift cards or empty boxes with an iPad. And like we'd send you the empty box. And then if you took the... So I've done all those plays before, but it, an it worked. An empty box? Oh my god. We would gosh. send like the iPad box that was empty and it was like, hey take this meeting and we'll actually send you that. It's cheesy. It was also like 12 years ago. So keep it in mind, but. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so that strategy can work exceptionally well. Where we're now trying to focus and really where a lot of our point of view and narrative development came about was the new breed of customers that we're focused on trying to help and retain and where we're seeing customers have a lot more success is when they view gifting as an amplifier. So for example, when you're thinking about from an ABM perspective, how do you send the right things at the right time to the right people? Gifting should be part of an omni-channel mix to be able to amplify and accelerate those other experiences versus it should be the only sole experience that you use to try to get a response. So like when we do ABM campaigns, we look at ways to try to think about how we can incorporate gifting to elevate maybe a virtual event you're going to go to or even content. So like if you're going to go to I'm listening to your podcast. I go to your website and I'm reading a podcast recap that you have. Well, one thing you could consider is could you serve up a pop-up through a tool like Popped-in or could you use a chatbot? And on the on right-hand side of that page, for example, you could pop up after a certain scroll depth is met or certain time on page is met. You could offer up a personal gift or some type of incentive that's like, hey, you've already spent 10 minutes digesting this content or you've scrolled X percentage, I would love to offer you an incentive to digest like these other two podcast episodes that I've run. And if you do so, I'll send you something that's really personal and meaningful too. Like you can pick from an, a marketplace of thousands of gifts or, hey, you're digesting this. I'd love for you to also digest this. I think this relevant content would be useful for you. Here's a $50 card to get a meal that'll help you get through these other assets. Like that's the way that you can take the traditional experiences you're already running and apply gifting as a way to amplify and basically create experiences now that are more standing out and unique versus just the traditional stuff that we're all used to. So that's how we think about it, if that helps. That does help, yeah. Yeah, because it's more, it's more than just sending something to book a meeting, which was done before. This is like, how do you approach it at all levels, right? Yeah. It's an amplifier. Like you said, you want to get to send the right thing. It has to make sense. It has to be clever that the person wants to get right at the right time to the right person. So yeah. And James Gilbert, I, another example, shout out to James Gilbert, a CMO and someone I've had the chance to get to know and talk to. James shared recently an example on another podcast around how 
you know, gifting could be a really great amplification strategy, even on the customer side. So he became a customer of a product and they sent him a package. And what he loved about it was it was unique and it was relevant to him. So he's a dad like I am. And I know you're a mom as well. And the package contained, if I recall, it was like a projector on his phone so he could project things to a wall or to a blank screen. It had a gift card so he could like buy a meal with his family. And it had something else that I'm blanking. And like the way he described it was what he loved about it was this idea of, hey, like we value your personal life and the the impact that you care about in terms of being there for your family, et cetera. Because James does talk a lot about that. And we also want you to join our family and we're going to treat you as part of our family. And like, we want this package to be a kind of like a recognition of that. And because of the meaningfulness, the fact that they didn't rely on that as the sole, like sole experience that they're having, but as an amplifier to the other things that they're doing. And it obviously registered and made a mark because James is sharing that story and it, you know, that's something he's likely never going to forget. And that's the way I would encourage any audience that's evaluating their marketing mix, please don't view my best advice is I don't view even at, as an employee of Alice, I don't view gifting as a silver bullet, but I view gifting when done right can be an incredible amplifier to all the other things you're doing. And I think James' example, sorry, James, if I'm stealing it and hacked it, but I think James' example is a great one as to like ways gifting can be really powerful. Yeah, and that key thing is like something he won't forget. So that's how you know that you're creating an experience that's really amplified. It really connects for someone when they won't forget that experience. I wanted to ask you about the resonating piece, how to best resonate with our unique point of view, because that ties into your positioning. And I'd love to understand like your, how do you resonate? What is your unique point of view? How do you know it's working? Yeah. So I'll start by saying everyone sounds the same. In our space, everyone sounds the same in pretty much every space. If you've ever been a buyer... The hardest part of trying to assess who you should buy, and that's why I think dark social and all these things have become you know, big talking points, is because of the nature of everyone sounds the same. So it's a common issue. So what we focused on over the last six months or so is investing on building a unique point of view and narrative, using tools like Winter to help us validate and test that. And by the way, we're still evolving and testing. And then acknowledging that even if that messaging is not perfect, we're open to evolving as we go. And really how this came about was we kept hearing as we're talking to like our buyers who tend to be B2B sales and marketers, that they were having challenges with their outbound efforts. In fact, pretty much every company in some form or fashion is doing outbound, even when you're posting on LinkedIn, that is a form of pushing a message to somebody that is outbound. Even a well-known company that got everyone understanding the importance of inbound does outbound. I don't need to name them. I think they're pretty well-known and I love them to death, but I get outbound messages from them regularly. So we kept hearing these challenges around outbound. And it's one of the reasons that you know we're excited because we believe gifting can be a solution and a better way to do outbound. Again, with that mindset of we can help amplify motions. And our focus with our messaging and positioning is we're not going to be the one-stop shop that helps you do your email and all those other strategies that someone might do with outbound. But from a messaging and narrative perspective, we want to focus on how can we educate people around the better ways to do outbound first, Anna? And then once we've done that, 
oh, by the way, we provide you with a solution that can help actually solve some of these elements for you. And I'm, I'm sure we're going to probably get into like what that narrative is and I'm happy to, or why like outbound's broken and all that. But if that helps at a high oh, level. Oh, we'll talk that's... about that. Oh, we will <laughs> talk about that. No, but I like that you start from a place of not like the narrow folk. You could have started in a place of like gifting needs to be part of your outbound focus on gifting, but you're starting from a place that's much bigger than that. That relates to the pain point that a lot of companies face, which is the challenge of outbound is challenging and we're going to help educate people on better ways to do it. Yep. And plus it ties into what we offer. By the way, P.S. We also offer this amplification, right? For a better experience. Yeah. And shout out to, I want to shout out Dave Gerhard. So, you know, I'm a demand gen marketer at my core and we have an amazing marketing team that also skews demand and some of these other functions. So we recognize that we needed some help. So we brought in Dave to work with us for a few months to help really tackle this. And obviously Dave's a really well-established and well-known B2B marker. So it was an, it was just a natural great fit. And we would not be able to have gotten to where we are without Dave's help. So if you're also listening to this, you don't necessarily have to do it by yourself. There are plenty of agencies, there are consultants. In our case, Dave was a no-brainer and we were excited to partner with him. Oh my gosh, he's so good. Yeah, he's great. I mean, thank goodness he now works for himself, right? Because now you can actually partner with him. <laughs> yes, he's great. Business like, needs, yeah. Yeah, he was, he, truthfully, he was a huge help for me. He helped us work through this. I can't tell you the number of conversations. We're like, what do you think? He's like, dude, go with it. Like, just, and if there's one thing I learned from Dave, it's like, it doesn't have to be perfect. Pick a lane, go for it. The audience will tell you if it's resonating or not. So, you know, we launched this on LinkedIn about a month ago. And what excites us is we saw massive engagement when we launched the messaging. And, you know, some of it's not the best feedback. That's okay. Like, P.S., if you're putting out a message out there that everyone agrees with, it's probably not unique enough. In our case, seeing messaging that got huge engagement, some dissent. And a lot of people are like, oh, you know what? You're onto something that validated the trajectory and, and the uh, direction path. you're going. Correct. Mm-hmm. Knowing that, hey, we have our own journey internally that we're trying to improve our own outbound sales and marketing motions. We don't necessarily have all the content to support the narrative. It was a couple marketers and our CEO founder sitting in a room working on this with Dave. But we have a path, we have a an, uh, mission now and a very clear direction we're on and it helps set the priorities and, and kind of the, the mission forward, if you will. So I'm stoked by it, but it also took us a, you know, several months earlier this year as a commitment and a drive towards how do we just better resonate with our prospects and customers going forward. Resonating, like more resonance versus more content. I fully support that. I think companies need to take that time to hunker down and really have those conversations. Like how do we better resonate versus how do we pump out more content that's not resonating? So I think you guys, you guys know what you're doing. You did the right thing, right? We try. It's all a learning curve. It's all a learning curve. That's right. (laughs) That's right. Let's talk a little bit about broken what's broken with outbound outbound. And it's interesting because I never thought of like what I do on LinkedIn, pushing out the message on LinkedIn. I never really thought about that as outbound. I think of outbound more as maybe we can like define it here. What is the definition of outbound 
yeah. sales or outbound marketing? What does it mean before we talk about what's broken about it? Yeah, so there's a lot of various are kind of like variations of the definition, but it's simplest terms. We view outbound as typically defined as pushing a message to an audience. And this can be done through a variety of channels, social media, out of home, like billboard or radio, email, probably the most common perceived outbound strategy and even ads. So that's, I'm oversimplifying, but anytime you're in essence pushing a message, right? So the idea of inbound, as you know, and I know you know this, is you're pulling people to you. The challenge with an inbound strategy and PS, like the emphasis on inbound is for a good reason. Creating content that focuses on educating and entertaining and pulling people to you should be a North Star objective for every company. Like, let's not debate that. I completely agree with it. I know you do. You wouldn't do this podcast if you didn't. But the challenge that I know I've experienced with inbound, and I I think from a lot of conversations I've had with many others, is if someone is unaware of you or you do not have that brand affinity or recognition, they may never know or ever see the value that you offer. And depending on the size of your company, the runway, your brand visibility, you may not be able to wait for inbound to work. Like you actually could be out of business before that flywheel or the benefits of an inbound strategy would work. And that's why outbound is so important. And like I said earlier, I don't know of any company that isn't doing some form or version of outbound. And we'll get into a second here of like the bad rap it has, but that's how I define it. And that's why I believe it's very important. So when you're creating content, let's say I'm creating content on LinkedIn, you're creating content on LinkedIn, that content goes out to people that are connected to me or that are following me and also people that are unaware of me see it as people engage with the content. So in that regard, I guess, yes, you're pushing it out to people that don't know anything about you. You're pushing out. But if people are following you, then is that still outbound? I think that's where the benefit of like that inbound flywheel takes effect. Like, I think you can look at channels like social media and break out like a cold audience. That's a push. If it's a warm or nurtured audience or someone that's subscribed to you, then yeah, I would probably tend to agree with you that that's more of like the benefits of an inbound flywheel. But for general purposes, anytime you're pushing something out to a cold audience, that I would define as as an outbound strategy. Cold calls, cold emails. Cold calls, cold emails, yeah. cold paid social ads. media posts. Paid yeah. ads, yes. Yes. I think that's a really okay. good call. I think adding like the cold audience is probably the addition we should add to that definition. Yeah, I like that. Okay. So kudos to you. Kudos to you. We're in agreement here. Yeah. (laughs) People say words and sometimes you have like this, oh, immediate reaction. Like what kind of, because I get on calls with prospects and I'm like, what kind of marketing are you working on with a smile on my face? And they're like, oh, we're doing cold calls and cold emails. And I'm like, ah, (laughs) so um, let's talk about that a little bit. (laughs) And I think that's a good segue to why does Outbound have such a bad rap and why do you get that reaction? Yes. So let's talk about that. Is it broken or is is it fine? Like there's always ways to make something better, right? Is, Is Outbound broken? And if so, yeah. what do you think are the ways in which it is broken? So... Outbound, I think the way some use Outbound needs to be revisited. I've been debating, you know, since we launched, I've been debating the use of the term broken, but we don't have to get into that for this talk. But 
cracked. Uh, cracked, maybe, or reevaluated. <laughs> it's just a strong word. But anyways, here's why. The common approach to most outbound, to a cold audience, I'm going I'm to use your filter, is sending unwanted touches. By the way, like touches, such a gross word. Like, I hate being touched. I don't really know anyone that does, especially from, <laughs> from a stranger. Especially a cold audience. Yeah. <laughs> and the problem with that is you're treating each of these touch points as a transaction, right? And if something is transactional in nature, it's, it's selfishly beneficial for me, not necessarily beneficial for you. And these touch points, as a result, when they're transactional in nature, they tend to fail to create that like emotional or psych- psychological safety that we all crave when we're trying to determine like who we want to associate with or who we want to maintain or build a relationship with or who not to. It's no wonder you and I, like we have those visceral reactions or we ignore all those emails we get, those weird LinkedIn, like cold, you accept a connection and then you're pitched like five seconds later. And that's because it's when outbound's done poorly, it's with that mindset. So for us at Alice and like this journey of what we are trying to do with our new narrative and positioning and our mission as a company going forward is we believe the better way is to focus your outbound strategy and efforts on how do you develop relationships, not transactionally try to convince somebody to do something. So not spamming or treating people like numbers, but focusing on creating experiences that people will love. And how you do that is by focusing on being personal, being relevant, and being thoughtful. And when we say being personal, it's what does that person care about? Like, what are their interests? Like James, the example of James. I just, James, I had on the podcast and I've gotten to know him. I know James is a dad. I know he's a sports fanatic. So tying those things into my outreach is going to naturally hook James in and be more responsive because I've invested that time to get to know James more on a personal level because we're all humans. Relevant, James is a CMO. Get to know what James' pain points and needs are and how can you tie your outreach where you know James is interested in the Utah jazz and he's a dad of two, et cetera. And his common pain point is X and Y. And then think about thoughtfully, how can you grab his attention or how can you maintain and develop that? And that's where gifting, naturally, gifting when done right, could be personal. You could send James a Utah jazz, I'll say Donovan Mitchell, but he's about to likely get traded, but like you could send him a Donovan Mitchell jersey tied to like a common pain or something that you might be able to solve or like, Hey, here's a podcast episode we did with a former CMO of company X, where they talk about like these three things that they did that helped CMOs be more effective. Oh, by the way, as you listen to this, I'd love to like share this jersey or something with you. And the thoughtfulness, well, gifting when done right can be really unique and clever. Again, that example I shared of James getting that package. That is where we believe if you shift that mindset from being transactional to like we were talking about earlier, how do you amplify experiences and things like that? That is where we confidently believe that brokenness or that need to be fixed can evolve. And really what we we call that outbound love. So our journey is we want to help our prospects and customers be able to deliver experiences that prospects and customers love. And the way you can simply define that is experience that people thank you for. So oftentimes, like when we send really thoughtful and personal gifts, we get thanks. We get shouted out on LinkedIn. Or like that person that sent it will get a thank you note. That is when you know you're connecting and you're establishing and you're building trust and relationships. And 
I think if we strive for those types of outcomes, instead of I'm going to send you a $50 gift card, which is in essence like a blank check to accept that meeting with me. I don't think anyone's going to thank you for that. By the way, I'm not going to remember who sent that to me two weeks from now. Like, yeah, you're just another number. <laughs> Thanks for the gift card. <laughs> I don't know who you are. I'm going to use it though. Yeah, <laughs> I'm definitely going to use it. And I'm not trying to put, I, I work it out. So like here I am potentially putting down a use case and not. Nah, there's a time and a place to use a gift card as well. If someone's sick and you want to send them, you know, the opportunity to maybe get soup or a meal and they don't maybe have the strength or the well-being to cook, cool. Like that would be a great use of a gift card. But, you know, I don't walk down the street and just randomly give people gift. I'm not Mr. Beast either, but like I'm not going to randomly give people gift cards. But like if I, if after this podcast, again, thank you for having me. We we maintain the, the friendship, relationship we have. I notice that something bad happens in your personal life and I send you like a gift card in return, that could be super powerful. Absolutely. It's just, it goes back to your, what your intentions are. I think intention is an important word here when we think about outbound. What are your intentions? And if your intentions are to really be personal, relevant, thoughtful in how you deliver interactions and experiences for people, that's a lot different than my intention is to get you to commit to some selfish activity or action. So. Hey, it's Anna, the host of Modern Startup Marketing, the show that you're listening to. I'm also the founder of Firminov Marketing Consulting. People call me the Marie Kondo of startup marketing because I help early stage startups clean up their marketing mess with the right strategy and execute with laser focus. Just wanted to let you know that you can get a marketing audit and custom roadmap to help you start seeing more traction from your marketing efforts. To learn more, go to firminovmarketing.com slash pricing. And now back to this episode. Do you think it's easier for marketers to have the intention of giving value, putting the customer first, like showing that they understand them? Like, I get you, right? Being more personal, being more thoughtful. Do you think that marketers have a keen sense of how to do this sometimes a little bit more than sales does? Or, or I guess, I don't know if it's... Because to me, marketers, just by default, by the definition of the role, demand creation, right? You're trying to to put out a point of view. You're trying to create awareness around a topic. You're trying to educate. You're trying to inspire people. Sales is trying to then sell and close that, you know, close the deal. So they're more in tune with, I know my goal for this quarter. I know my goal for this month. Like I need to reach that goal. That is really the only reason I'm talking to this person. That is really the only reason I'm sending that gift. What do you think about that? I think it comes down to your goals, right? So the challenge with outbound, as we just described it, is that traditionally associated to like sales development, business development actions. I know plenty of marketing activities that have also fallen victim to that. If your goals are you're measured on things like number of sales meetings you can sign up or number of demo meetings. And like, that's the only goal and measurement you're measuring on no different than like number of leads. Then naturally, why wouldn't you run transactional activities like content syndication, ebook downloads, and, you know, putting a reg form on it. So I also believe that you have to align the right vision and goals to help drive this type of action, which is also why, like before we want to do business with a potential prospect or customer, our goal going forward is to get them to adopt and kind of agree with this mindset. Because if they agree with this mindset, then all of a sudden, they're naturally thinking about, 
how do I apply gifting to a prospect journey, to a customer journey, maybe even an employee journey? Well, the benefit to us is that creates stickiness, but the benefit for them is it forces you to start thinking about all those different ways that you can apply it. And then how you think about those experiences you're delivering? Are they more personal? Are they more relevant? Like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you one channel is better than another. I don't believe in that. But I want to help marketers understand and sellers for that matter, that if you can adopt a mindset that's more personal and relevant and thoughtful, we believe you can drive better outcomes. But I think it comes back to your goals. In my case, I measured on two primary goals, pipeline creation or new logo pipeline creation and retention. So everything I do is focused on those two things. It does not matter if I solely run a bunch of transactional campaigns and get 50,000 meetings. If they turn into this, who cares? Or is this, sorry, if you can't see zero, nobody's going to care. So I do think to answer your question that the goals are what drive a lot of these misguided potential actions. Did you just bring up a zero? In I the... did. Okay, yeah. so oh, zero. Okay, People can't see because they're listening. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> zero is, uh, yeah, we don't want that. But I like how you tie it back to the goal. Like your goals are important. If it's just about number of demos, you'll, you'll run those traditional outbound plays. If your goal is to get the person to really build a relationship, to really love your company, love what you're doing, love what you're bringing, love that point of view, connect to that point of view, then it becomes more sticky. Love that. Okay, we haven't even talked about Alice's marketing plan. And I'd love to dive into that because at Alice, you're sourcing 70% of total new logo pipeline and revenue from inbound, Mm -hmm. from marketing. Mm -hmm. And I love talking to companies like you. Um, I, I had Cassidy on the show when he was at formerly he was CMO yeah. at Narrative, Narrative Science. Yeah, Narrative Science. Narrative Science. And he was sourcing 90% of pipeline revenue was from marketing. So I love to hear. And then I asked him, like, how'd you get into like how did that begin? And he's like, well, actually, the SDR stuff, the outbound stuff, like it just didn't work for us. So that was fascinating to hear. And I'd love to hear more about. Tell me more about your marketing strategy. And especially during this downturn, how are you thinking about, like, where are you putting your dollars? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to start, the way I've tackled this, like, inbound versus outbound or like an MQL model versus maybe like an inbound-centric model is to split the funnel. And there's a few different ways you could do this, but the simplest way is just to measure website source leads separate from like a first or last touch campaign attribution in your CRM or whatever it might be. And starting to understand what your conversion rates are between your different qualified or non-qualified pipeline stages and what your close one, close lost are. Now, the good news for me to be very candid with the audience is when I came to Alice, we had already kind of moved away from some of those decisions. So I didn't have to necessarily reinvent it like I have had in previous lives. But with that said, As I mentioned, our marketing goals are really focused on new logo, pipeline creation, and retention. Those are two things that we are emphasized and being asked to focus on. So when we narrow down our priorities, it's really in the following areas. I already talked about messaging positioning. That is the core anchor. The reason that we invested the time we did is if you don't have a strong and unique point of view, good luck. (laughs) Just good luck. Some of the brands I think we all admire, the gongs of the world, drifts, granted to you know, B2B SaaS and MarTech tech-based companies, but had really unique points of view. I might even call them, you know, category creators, but 
their success was anchored in the messaging and positioning to start. And then it was supported by the second big bucket for us, which is content. Content for us is foundational to our acquisition and retention strategy. If you don't have good content where you provide education and insight tied back to your messaging positioning, what's the anchor? Like, what are you really anchoring on? So I'm oversimplifying and we'll get into some of those needs. Now for us in terms of like that third pillar, it's how do we create new customer demand? And really we bucket this in four areas. The first is content distribution via mainly blogs, paid and organic social. And we put our biggest emphasis on LinkedIn, mainly because we're going again after B2B sales and marketing. So fortunately for us, LinkedIn is a really great channel for that. We also focus on influence marketing via targeted, like really specific marketing and sales communities. So shout out to communities like Peak. We've done some stuff with Chris Walker's Demand Gen Live. Examples like that where really highly populated sales and marketing communities. And what makes that a unique strategy for us is we have some benefit of like product virality in our products. So when we're in communities, our focus is obviously to try to provide insight and, and provide value, but it's also to find ways to get people to use the product. Maybe that's as maybe on a, like you sign up for a new community and our agreement with that community is like, we're the one sending like a new welcome gift. And what we see is like, as people are experiencing that, they fall in love with that experience. It brings in a lot of net new leads and opportunities for us. Events. So we're not doing a crazy amount of like key industry events, but there's a couple key like B2B sales and marketing industry events that we go after. And then we do some strategic like self-hosting co-marketing. And then we're kind of in the early days of revising our ABM strategy. And I could talk more about that in a second. Now, and then the last bucket for us is how do we optimize that high intent traffic to our website? And that's really like one, how do we reduce friction when someone's looking for a demo? How do we create new website conversion paths? And I have something coming soon. I don't know if I really want to like totally give it up yet, but we're basically going to offer like a trial, not a, necessarily a full PLG motion, but maybe like the closest to a PLG motion without being a PLG motion. And then how do we improve like the messaging and positioning and the usability of the site? So. And I'm not going to talk about customer marketing because that's a whole separate thing. But for us, Anna, we bucket everything in one of those areas. And it all ties back to those two goals. It's a lot, by the way. But we're also in the middle of like fixing the messaging and positioning. So there was foundational stuff with the website we had to do and all that. But those are our buckets. It's served us really well. And that's how we've been able to continue to drive more inbound for the business. That is a lot. You mentioned a lot. How big is the marketing team? It's now 10. When I started about a, a little over a year ago, when hiring and stuff was crazy, we were down to about four people. So we've rebuilt it to 10. And based our team is uh, two product marketers, two brand and creative people, one customer marketing and evangelist, Nick Bennett, who most of you probably know. And then we have a revenue marketing team. That's a team of uh, four. So yeah, awesome. that's the Okay, so pretty sizable. So you mentioned a lot. You mentioned like the foundational stuff, messaging positioning. You mm-hmm. mentioned content, the blog, paid ads, organic social, LinkedIn, your focus. Mm-hmm. You mentioned creating new customer demand through use of like some of those channels, communities, events. You got your ABM strategy. There's a lot. What are that's you placing your... What, yeah, what are you placing your bets on? Like what channels are you really leaning into more of in this year? Yeah, so our big bets are LinkedIn as a content distribution 
strategy and also a listening strategy. Content is a big bet. And like for us, when we say content, think top of the funnel. So that's where we're leading with insight in our space. Like what's the difference between inbound and outbound? We talked about that earlier. How do you build a brand that stands out? Like where marketers are spending? Like all that type of like top of the funnel, like conversation star. How do we help B2B marketers and sellers just do better outbound and all that stuff? Middle of the funnel stuff, like validating gifting as a strategy, results that like other brands see, use case information. We're doing some original research right now, all that fun stuff. And then bottom of the funnel contents like Alice, best practices, playbooks, integration partners, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. We're going to be doing a lot of like ABM and co-marketing as a third big bet. So when I say ABM, I can like touch on a really high level. We're, we're taking a one-to-few approach rather than going truly one-to-one because we recognize that a true one-to-one requires like the right strategy and the right resource allocation. So for us, like our one-to-few approach is focused on like grouping the right accounts together. And then we're really focused on how do we target the right people? at the right time, with the right experience. And I think that third one gets overlooked. And then how do we measure the effectiveness of it? But I don't, when we talked about like gifting as an amplifier and everyone talks about like ABM and they focus on the, the list and they focus on timing and they buy like intent tools to help know where someone might be. But arguably the most important thing in the value of like an ABM strategy is how do you develop experiences that are unique for that audience? And there's a bunch of technology out there that can help you. But before you buy a tech stack or add anything to your tech stack, define what the experience is. So if I have 10 accounts that I'm ultimately trying to market and sell to, what can I do that's so unique and potentially game changer for them that they might not even be experiencing else? And that's where we think about like, okay, if I'm going to apply gifting, can I apply gifting to all the content they might consume, to any webinar that we might ask them to attend, to a dinner? Like That is how we like to think about it, Alice. And that's where we're hedging our biggest bets as a marketing team. So you're saying don't buy six cents until you have that experience mapped out. Is that what you're saying? I believe that. And I'm guilty of it too. I've been there. <laughs> I, we're a six cents customer. I'm a huge fan of six cents. So I, I'm not going to say anything negative, but I have been guilty of buying technology without having a vision and a plan for how to use it. My best advice for someone, especially with like ABM or intent tools, or even a gifting platform, have an idea of how you're intending to utilize that as part of a bigger experience. Because PS, none of those tools are cheap. <laughs> we pay a lot of money for a few critical tech platforms. And there's a reason that we justify those prices, but it's to help support the experience that we want to deliver to accounts. Tell me more about these tech tools and how you make them work, because I think I'm fascinated by it, like the fact that you have six cents. But first, I imagine you had the strat, the approach, mm -hmm. right? First, you were like, okay, we're going to give this when they consume this content. We're going to give that. Mm -hmm. We go to the dinner. We're going to send them that. And then you you brought bought the tech tools. So what tech tools are you using and how are they working together to make that experience even better? Yeah, yeah. So we're using tools like Six Sense that has other integrations with Mumbor, et cetera. To help support, because we really have three plays. We have our go to market is a combination of the high intent, like website sourced. It's targeted sales and marketing to go outbound, and it's co marketing, like partner driven place. Those are our three go to market motions, probably not unique to mostly your audience. Mm -hmm. So, for like that play that we're talking about with using tools, we're using Sixth Sense to help define 
who are the right people to go after? And that's supplemented by tools like Zoom Info. And what is the right time, right? So the beauty of a tool like Sixth Sense is it can look at accounts, look at some of the uh, first and third party cookie data that's available to them and help potentially at least enable you to estimate where that potential account could be in the journey and then tailor your outreach. So we're using it where we've de- we're defining the type of experiences that we want early stage or later stage accounts to have. So for example, we might say that we want a cold account to get these types of content assets. We're not gonna invite them to any like high touch events or anything, but it's gonna be a combination of like digital ads, maybe a one gift offer, a couple emails or, or sales sequences, whatever it is. And our goal is to see if we can measure and see increased engagement. Conversely, for like high tier accounts that are showing engagement with Alice already or with potentially our space, yada, 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 we're going to potentially add premium experiences. So for example, like we like to do a lot of what we call five to nine events. And our five to nine events are like, how do we connect more of people's personal levels and things that are just it? So a lot of people will do like bourbon tastings or wine tastings. To us, it seems kind of like expected these days. So like one five to nine event we did as part of Universe last year, which is a big conference that we did, was like a beehive, like a bee house building thing. And it was unique. It was different. So we sent people a beehive and people loved it. And with we just bees tried to in think, it? Hopefully not. Not with bees, I promise. You're not, <laughs> I don't even think you're allowed to ship bees, but no. <laughs> those are the types of experiences that we were that we like to think about. And then we look at tools like Sixth Sense, Demand Base. We've looked at tools like Mutiny, Metadata. Like we're, we don't have all those things. We're not, it's hard for me with my budget to justify all those tools. But we justify technology only when it helps amplify and elevate the experiences that we're trying to deliver. And that's the strategy we've been using. And it's helped me as a leader not get my budget so out of whack where my tech spend is just, it's hard to maintain. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for walking me through some of the things that you're doing and how you're thinking about these, the different tech. But I think the key thing to mention here is don't get the tech until you have developed your, the experience that you want, like the strategy that you want to create. And you could do that without tech. And then tech just gets, lets you like define, be more precise. Who are these right people? Get to them faster, right? That's the important part. There are incredible platforms out there and tools like uh, truly we are lucky as sales and marketing professionals these days, but please have a vision strategy first or it can get carried away. Really. We are lucky <laughs> and we are unlucky at the same time because then we Fair. fall back on those, right? I mean, because look how many sales tech and MarTech vendors there are out there. Yeah. And then, right, they're selling. We fall back on that and we think that's going to save the day but it actually starts out with your foundation and your strategy. Yeah. Tell me your challenges. We talked a lot about a, like a, <laughs> a lot about the good stuff that you're doing. Tell me about what's challenging for you right now. The main one, I think you alluded to it already and you nailed it is focus and prioritization. With our new messaging and positioning, there's a lot of foundational marketing work that we have to tackle. Updating the website, building momentum around that, creating the right content that supports that. That is putting a massive strain on us to be very candid. And it's just an ongoing challenge that we're working through because there's campaigns that we want to run. There's retention and customer marketing stuff we want to do. And there's this foundational stuff that we have to do to be able to continue to elevate the brand. 
So balancing all those conflicting needs across our rather small team, it's not a huge team by any means, that is by far the biggest challenge. I think the other one, I think most marketing leaders would probably say this in general, is just developing and retaining your team, especially in this market where like burnout, mental health, all those things are a challenge. And because we went from a pandemic to now an economic, or these concerns around an economic downturn, there's just a lot of pressure on all of us from both home, work, and the outside world that has made it challenging for us all. Like I have my own days where I'm like, we were joking at this pre-podcast recording, like I'm like trying to find time to even do this session with you has been hard. And I so appreciate you being on here because <laughs> no, I'm sure your, your five-year-old and three-year-old are like pulling at your leg and I can't tell that because I can't see them. Uh, they're at daycare, fortunately. <laughs> but, uh, oh, good. <laughs> but yeah, those are by far the two biggest ones. It's also fun. That's what makes the role fun in, as well. But by far, those are the two biggest challenges. Well, what about, let's be a little creative here because one thing that I've been asking guests consistently is like, what's a creative idea, marketing idea that you have come up with or your team has come up with maybe in like the past year that you're like, yeah, that was really good. And that was pretty impactful. What would you call want to bring out here and, and talk through? Yeah, I have two. So I want to share the most creative campaign I ever did was several years back. And I'll share an Alice one in a second. But so when I worked at a company called Iron Mountain, which is like a data storage, paper storage, paper shredding, not some of the necessary, they used to, I think, internally joke, like they're the plumbers of what they do. But basically what was happening was at that time, like in pop culture, zombies was becoming this huge thing. And what we were hearing was like paper shredding, paper storage, doctor offices, dent like no one wanted to do that stuff, which is why they were considering outsourcing. And at that time, because zombies was popping, no joke, like now friend and I, or I should say former colleague, we came up with this idea of like office zombieism. And the idea that like shredding is so mundane that if you do it yourself, it'll turn you into an office zombie. And no joke, like we, it's on YouTube somewhere. I can probably send up, find the video and send it to you. But we created this zombie video where I'm the zombie actually in it. We spent like 75 bucks to go to Marshall's. Oh my gosh. I want to look at this. You better send me the link. I'll include it in the show notes. I'll send it to you. We, uh, I got in like zombie makeup. All right. We hired a makeup artist. They dressed me up as a zombie, tore up this shirt that we bought. And it's literally uh, the entire video is a play off that. And then we supplemented that with like little brain squish balls and all these like creative zombie kind of hooks. And the whole concept was that and we started with what happened was like as you could probably guess being a bigger company our legal and brand team wasn't the biggest fans so our compromise was how about you try this during halloween and if it does really well we'll reevaluate and that's exactly what we did and truthfully it was the highest at that time i can't say it's still the case but it was the highest performing social campaign times like a hundred while i was there we were getting direct quotes from people like this is the greatest thing you've ever sent us, we've ever seen, you guys knocked it out of the park. Massive pipeline opportunities came from it, revenue, because it was different, it was unique. Like how many B2B brands talk about zombies and find an interesting hook and creative way to... So that's by far the funnest one to this day. Like I, I would love to replicate that one, but that might've just been like freakish. For Alice, for the last two years, we've been doing something called the universe, which 
it's a product agnostic event where our goal is how do we marry like nine to five programming that buyers care about with five to nine sessions that appeal to like you and I as people. And it's consistently been one of the biggest drivers for us because like our focus was how do we get high quality speakers? We tried to source speakers that you and I don't always hear from, not the same names and faces that it feels like, especially in the B2B sales and marketing community, it's the same like 10 figures. We use gifting as a way to amplify stuff. And like, no joke, when we were promoting Universe, we constantly get feedback, like we see this everywhere. And it's not that it's a unique idea in the sense of what it is, but the way we executed it, the quality of the speakers, the fact that it wasn't sales at all. Our intent in doing that was not to sell Alice. In fact, there was no pitch, no promotion. We didn't want it to be that. We wanted to just simply be a resource to help B2B sales and marketers be able to do their jobs more effectively. Ironically, the byproduct of Universe is it's been one of the biggest pipeline generators for us two years in a row. It gave us a content library that we could use for months on end and to this day still use. <laughs> now, I will be upfront, like we're reimagining it for next year. We're not actually going to do it this year because of just all the other stuff I was talking to you about earlier. But that is something that we are very bullish on going forward. Again, not unique, but I think if you can do those types of experiences with the right approach, with the right vision, they can be game changers for a brand. And to this day, a year later, I still see references to like when people talk about like best events or like who's a brand that's put on a really good, we see universe get mentioned. I'm like, holy shit, it's been a year. So those are two that stand out for me. Awesome. I love it. I love asking this question because I always get, I've never gotten zombies before. I'll tell you that. <laughs> but there's always something like the duffel bag that we created with like this pawn or like the ad of the just random user generated content that became our highest performing ad. And here's what we're doing now with that. Like there's so many different things. And I don't think people know how fun and creative things can actually be when you dig deep into some of these like plays that, that folks are doing yeah. inside startups. So thank you for sharing. We could spend another like session on like creative things our customers do. But for me, like those two stand out. So selfishly, like those two for me are. <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. I love that. Well, Pete, thank you so much. This was a wonderful conversation. I'm glad I could finally bring you on here and talk about all the all the cool things you're doing. There's a lot going on and I will check back in with you in, at a later time and see how things are going for you from like the ABM perspective and your messaging and positioning and looking at your website and that it's been updated and the content you're putting out and the communities that you're building. So I had a lot of fun. Thank you for joining me. If people want to reach out to Pete, he's on LinkedIn, Pete, Peter Lorenko. And to find out more about Alice, you can go to alice.com. Thank you, Pete. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of Modern Startup Marketing. New episodes are dropping weekly, so make sure you're following wherever you get your podcasts. You can find me on LinkedIn, search for Anna Firminov, or go to my website, firminovmarketing.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.